Ruth chapter 1, and I'm going to read the, the whole chapter through. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. And the man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Machlon and Kilion. They were Epaphrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Machlon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she'd been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons? Who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed his mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. The women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, which means bitterness, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you for the timeless nature of them. And we pray this morning that you would speak uh, into our hearts and our, our hearts would be open to what you would say. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. As Andy just implied, it always uh, takes my breath away, really, how uh, God gives us uh, what we need in season. And today is no different as we start this book of Ruth in a time of bewilderment, uh, in a time, as, uh, as Andy said, of headlines that, uh, that really shatter us and we don't know where to turn. And then we start on this book, which is a book of tragedy. It is a book that begins with uh, international and national uncertainty and personal uncertainty. 
uncertainty as well. And so whatever we're feeling, and we will be feeling raw this morning. Uh, this is a story of hope. It's a story of redemption. And uh, it begins with this judge's backdrop, if you like, where there's a land with no king. There's a land where the judges rule. And actually, the, the, the verse that sticks out for me is that everyone did right in their own eyes in the, in the judges' period. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And that's the world we live in, isn't it? You know, where are our moral absolutes anymore? Where's our moral compass? So there's a sense to which we live in that season of no king. We live in a season where everyone does what is right. If it feels good, do it. And so this speaks into our culture every bit as powerfully as it would have spoken then. And what we hear about is a family who were brought up in, in, in Bethlehem, which ironically was called the House of Bread. And they come to a time of famine in the House of Bread. They come to a time where physically there's not enough to go round. And rather than staying in the House of Bread, staying in Bethlehem, their home, their spiritual nurture, if you like, their fellowship, they, they actually decide, Elimelech as head of the household decides that in this time of famine, it's too hard for them to stay there. Now this is not a comment about refugees in, in our world currently. This is more actually that God wanted this to be in his word for a very specific reason. That Moab, where these people flee to, was the absolute antithesis of where they left behind. They had to turn their backs, if you like, on the house of bread in order to go to Moab, which was a place of wealth, idolatry, which in physical terms would have met all their physical needs but left them impoverished spiritually, left them empty, as we hear Naomi feels, left them bitter. And there's a challenge as we open this chapter in our lives. It is tough at the moment in all of our lives, and it will probably be increasingly tough to stand strong as we've just been singing. And yet there is even more call than ever for us to stand strong in Christ. Tragically, Elimelech's name meant child of the king. That's what his name meant. And yet he was able to turn his back on that, that children of the king kind of label that his name meant. And we have a name if we follow Jesus that is little Christ. And when it gets tough, we need to live out that name rather than run from it. And there will be temptations. This was the safe option. Some of you might say, well, Judy, I think it was the wise option. And we could discuss that maybe in small groups, you'll discuss that. There are commentaries that are quite conflicting on it. But nevertheless, the significance of Moab is very, very much through scripture, a place of that plenty, but of that spiritual loss. And we will have temptations. And even in this room today, there will be people who are thinking, is it too hard to stay as a follower of Jesus? Is it too hard living in the house of bread? Do we feel that actually the cost is too great? Maybe you're single and you're thinking, well, actually, I'd, I'd, I'd just like to, to go out with the first person that comes along. I'm fed up with this. I'm fed up with waiting for this woman of God or this man of God that you're waiting for. Maybe you feel, well, I'll compromise. I'll turn my back on that because this is the safe. This is the easy option. Maybe it's at work and there's something that actually will get you that promotion that's just a little bit outside of the rules, that's just a little bit against the kindness and goodness of God. And you will know, for all of us, it will be different but there will be those temptations to run from pain and sadly what happens is where do they run to they run towards death 
They run to a place of bitterness and loss and pain. So that's the first challenge that we face. I've been working this week with a, a lovely actor uh, who's a, a very dear friend, like my little brother. And um, he has got an agent now, he's doing very well. And uh, his dream is to be in the West End, to be in Les Miserables. It's all he's ever wanted. That's his goal. Someone even had a dream for him, I think, that that, that would happen. I don't know whether uh, that's right or not. But certainly, that is the big dream in his life. No question about it. And has been for a long time. He's even grown his hair red to be Marius and um, he had an offer through his agent uh, just recently to be in the show The Book of Mormon which is a show that basically blasphemes it's a show that basically swears at God and he was sitting in a room with us this week trying to persuade us that this was the right move for him because the lure of it said, he said, well, maybe if I say yes to this, my agent will realize how willing I am. And actually, the agent had said, this is the place you could be spotted at this audition for Les Mis, because it's the same group. This is where you could be spotted if you go to that. And we pleaded with him, and he defended, and it got quite sort of relatively passionate, I would say, rather than heated, in the conversation. Uh, and we left it there. And he was quite upset, I think, with us. But we, we tried to show kindness in our challenge. And um, he spent a couple of days pondering about it, thinking about it, and he thought, he thought, that group of people love me. And it was loving challenge. And in the end, he decided that the answer had to be no. And just yesterday, uh, very timely for me, pondering about this, something dropped into his inbox, which was, did he want to go to the lady who used to direct Les Miserables in the West End to a workshop where they would help them with auditions, where they would nurture and train them in getting into Les Mis. And it, even that, I know that's my sort of lovey world and uh, it might not resonate with you, forgive me, but that's my points of reference sometimes. But there's a sense of, I will not turn my back on Christ and that he will honour that no matter how great the pull is to Moab in all of our lives. But you might have a different take on it. Certainly uh, it's, it's horrifically hard for them in this time of famine and they flee. They take their two sons with them and they head for Moab. And they arrive there and it's interesting verse one says they only go for a little while. You know, they, they just think it's not a big deal. You know, you're making too big a deal out of it maybe. But actually Actually, they stay there for 10 years. We know that at least. So it's not just a small visit over to Moab. They settle there. And there's a sense of, are we going to settle in, in the wrong place? Or are we going to stay in the house of bread, the place where God wants to feed us and speak into our lives each day? So then we have these very sad verses that come from verse 3 onwards, where there is death to this family, not just one, but three tragedies before this lovely woman, Naomi. She loses her husband, and then years later, both of her sons. Incredible, phenomenal loss for one woman to cope with. And she laments in a way that I think is really helpful for us in our pain and in our grief and in our loss. She says, I tell you what, I feel like God has left me. I feel empty. She says, call me bitter, because that's really what my name is now. So in a way that a family that were, were children of the king, she now says, call me bitter, call me empty. And she says that she believes that God has turned his hand against her. 
not the case if you've read the book of Ruth. It is not the case. And I just wanted to say to us today, if you feel that the tragedy or the pain that you're going through now is God's lack of love for you, it isn't. He will redeem it, not in the way that you might imagine, not in the way that we might even pray for, but he is our redeemer and he can turn things to good. That is his hand, that is his power, that is his heart. But it's very easy, I've been there. I know the pain of thinking, this is happening because God has left me. And what is interesting is, she doesn't ever doubt that God is real. As soon as the famine stops in Bethlehem, she says, oh, Yahweh, God has provided Jehovah Jireh. He's provided for them. That's the report that she sees and believes that gets her to get her two daughter-in-laws, also widows, to make the journey back, to return. And so there is that sense of even though I cannot see what he's doing, even though she's in the thick of this triple tragedy, she knows that God is still God and that he is the one that has provided, even though she feels he's overlooked her and her situation, even though maybe as a family, they did turn their back on him. Peter, in the New Testament, denies Jesus. He takes the safe option. He puts his own physical safety, maybe we don't know, above that of Jesus. He's by the fire at the time. And what's interesting, as I was just reading and hearing this week, is that the next time he meets with the risen Jesus, the next time he sees Jesus, it's by another fire. And this time Jesus is cooking him breakfast. The risen Jesus is cooking him breakfast. So the fire of our own betrayal, if you like, the fire of our own loss, the fire of our own trials, one day, There's a sense that Jesus cooks breakfast in terms of his restoration, his redemption, his restoration even when we have sinned and turned our backs on him. So what do we do if we're in this state of loss, this emptiness that Naomi describes, this barrenness? She says, there's no hope for me, there's no future. She describes her barren nature, that there's no future. She can't see a hope and a future. And yet, The very final part of this this chapter says, they arrived back just as the barley harvest was beginning. And throughout scripture, there are these linear glimpses of God's grace and his hope in these times of tragedy. Jerry Sitzer, who some of you know well, wrote uh, a brilliant book, A Grace Disguised, one of the best books on loss I've read. And he had multiple tragedy of loss in his life and in his family. And he says this, he says, there's a sacrifice of believing that however painful our losses are, life can still be good. Good in a different way, but nevertheless good. I will never get over missing the ones I lost. I long for them with all my soul, but I still celebrate the life that I have found because they have gone. I lost a world I loved, but I gained a deeper awareness of grace. I gained a deeper awareness of grace. And that is our prayer really, that in your loss, in your emptiness maybe today, that actually as God reaches out with his kindness, with the hesed of his goodness, that actually there will be a sense that actually his grace is bigger nationally, internationally, as we look at the news, he is still bigger as we've just been proclaiming 
that actually the light shines in the darkness and the darkness will never put it out, even when it feels really dark to us and it must have felt so dark to Naomi. And she starts this journey of return and the word used uh, in the original text is to turn around. She turns around. Um, actually a kind of turnaround, perhaps spiritually, again to face this house of bread of Bethlehem. And she takes her daughter-in-laws back. Now, um, Orpah, nearly called her Oprah, but it's Orpah exactly wanting to say Oprah, but it's definitely not her. Orpah um, goes back to Moab. She's a Moabite woman, and that's where she goes back to, and we can't blame her for that. But actually, Ruth, there's something extraordinary in her that just resonates with me, and wants, I just want to emulate that in my life. There's something in her. She's a widow. She is in loss as well, but actually what she does, it, rather than letting that loss engulf her, as is so tempting, she reaches out to her mother-in-law and makes this beautiful promise. I, I just think it's beautiful. Uh, it could be a song I don't know if it is a song but she just actually makes this declaration that she will not leave her she says don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you where you go I will go where you stay I will stay your people will be my people and your God will be my God interesting from someone who wasn't of the faith who sees in Naomi in her deepest loss isn't that interesting that here's Naomi saying I'm bitter call me bitter I'm empty I'm barren and yet Ruth sees something she must have done that is worth dying for (laughs) she says "I'll, I'll die by your side Uh, So even then, and I I really firmly believe this, when we are broken and when nothing seems to be going right for us, it's very easy for us to think that it weakens our testimony. It weakens perhaps the fact that we, we feel we can't share any good news with people. And often that's the time when actually your life shines the most. I remember in in my own situation once feeling that God had left me as I said earlier on and just crying out to him in in a real state of loss myself and a really longing for him to speak through scripture you know when you do that slightly dodgy thing of just thinking I need a verse anything just to show me that there's hope that that God will somehow make this right and the verse I was given and it happened through a couple of sources was the same verse from Psalms and it's trust in the Lord and do good in the land. And I was like, that's naff, I don't want that one. I want a one that's all, it's all going to be all right. And I felt really cross that that was the only verse in a way that I was given. But that's the Ruth spirit, isn't it? That actually what she does is she turns her face back away from the pain towards the God that can be trusted. God was whispering to me, trust me, but meanwhile do good in the land. Don't let this turn you away from the good news of Jesus, but actually let it throw him, throw you if you like, into his arms again to trust him and to keep looking outwards. I've been working this week with Compassion, brilliant charity, who work uh, sponsoring children all over the world and uh, alongside many others like World Vision. It's been my privilege to meet a man called Jane. And uh, Jane is uh, just a wonderful, wonderful guy who grew up in the slums of India, in one of the biggest slums there outside of Calcutta, where they have 10,000 people and they have two toilets and one tap. And I I still can't, I mean, they showed pictures of it and I, I just can't even take in what that must be like and he said he grew up there for years and years and years and he says he has this lovely expression he says I felt like I was a frog in a well 
because he could never jump high enough to see anything beyond the walls of where he was. Poverty isn't just about our lack of resource, it's actually about a lack of hope. And uh, it's, it's such a horrific thing to witness as he did and to live firsthand. But then one day, someone from America sponsored him as the first child to be sponsored in that place, uh, through compassion anyway, and paid for his education. Uh, he was the one who taught his mum and dad to write their own names, which is a very big thing in that culture. And uh, he now works not only with compassion, but has set up his own charity in the slum where he grew up uh, to rescue women from slavery and from prostitution in that place. Now he could have just said, my tragedy, he lost his dad to malaria while he was in the slum. He saw many friends die, but he became a Christian when he was 14, and not from a Christian background at all, but through compassion and through their work, he saw above the walls of the well enough to see that there is a hope beyond our own pain. Uh, that actually there is a God beyond the pain that loves us very much and sends help in his kindness. As we close, there's a beautiful word that we've mentioned here before called hesed, which is used in this passage a couple of times about kindness. Naomi says to Ruth, you know, may, may God show kindness to you as you have to me and to your dead. The hesed, the kindness of God, And I think when we're in pain, we sometimes see his kindness through the small and the big things of other people, just as Naomi does here through Ruth, that actually we can be part of that hesed today in a world that is broken, a world that might feel very, very fragile uh, today, that actually the call on us is to be his hesed, to be his kindness, to be the Ruth that says, I won't let go of you, I'll hang on to you. Is there a person, maybe God will bring a person to your mind right now, he certainly does to mine, of just someone who, who you want to say, I will walk this journey with you, I'm not gonna leave you, I'm gonna be by your side. And actually that's one of the ways that we can deflect our own pain is to reach out when we're strong enough and pull someone else along. I have a very dear friend who um, was very close to God at one point and a a passionate follower of Jesus and who in recent years has really turned his back, if you like, and gone to the land of Moab, if we think of this passage, very, very much so, very, very alienated from everything he once loved and believed. And um, I found one one, uh, early in the morning, at two o'clock in the morning, that God woke me up and I just was terrified for him. I had no idea why. And I just started praying praying in tongues and praying in the spirit for him and just praying protection, peace. I had no idea what was going on. Didn't even know if his mobile number was the same uh, as it had been. And in the morning, I thought I must text him and just say, God must love you very much because he woke me in the night. No one deprives me of sleep. He deprived, he risked depriving me at two o'clock in the morning to wake me up to pray for you. And he was so moved. He said he cried when he received the text because he couldn't believe that God would love the man that he is now compared to the man that I knew and I met up with him just days after that text because he just was so impacted something was going on that very night that was so dark that it terrified him that night and when he kept looking at the date he just couldn't get his head around why God would do that but that's the hesed, the love, the kindness of God. And actually when, when we left, having had lunch together, he said, the thing is, Judy, you believe in the man I once was, but I'm not that man anymore. Like Naomi, 
you know, she arrives and they say, well, you're not the same woman. She says, no, I'm not. I'm bitter. That's my name now. And yet Ruth is at her side to actually show her the hesed, the restoration, the redemption, and the kindness of God. And um, so this person who's dear to me is who I will be praying that I continue to, to just be, be God's kindness, um, be his loyalty to him, uh, because why would he wake me up in the night? Do you know what I mean? It moves me. Uh, but that's the profound love that every person, whether you feel you've turned your back on God, even today, that's the love, the redeeming, rescuing, passionate love that he has for every one of us. And the barley harvest is coming. The end of this passage says that, that as they arrive, it's no longer a place of famine. It's a place of potential restoration and redemption. It's a place where actually God is always at work. And be reassured, it's a tough subject I know, but be reassured, the problem for Naomi is she can't see what God is doing. And many times in our tragedies, we just don't see what God is doing. But one thing I do know is God is always, always working, even when we can't see it. And as we look at the tragedies today, as we look at Beirut and Paris and Syria, as we look at our own land and the threat and the risk at the moment here, he is always at work. God is always at work and he will have the last word and there is an eternal hope for us. There is the, the well beyond the well, uh, the land beyond the well um, of hope and uh, of redemption. So I wonder if you'd stand with me, perhaps the band will come back up and um, I'd like to pray for us. I'm going to use some words from a song that Keith Green wrote many years ago when he was in a time of deep loss and deep pain in his life. And he wrote a song, if you like, he wrote a lament about his emptiness. He said, my eyes are dry and my faith feels old. My heart is hard and my prayers run cold. And I know how I ought to be alive in you and dead to me. But what can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up with oil and wine. For the oil is you, your spirit of love. So wash me anew with the wine of your blood. Jesus, thank you that this story is to do with the lineage of David, that because of Ruth and her faithfulness and her loyalty and her hesed, her kindness, even in her own fragility, the lineage goes on to David and to you, Jesus. That scarlet thread of your blood shed for us, that scarlet thread of grace, of love, of kindness, of redemption, of restoration, I pray for friends here today in a place of loss, in a place where they can't see the wall above the well, that you would speak into their pain today and say, I haven't left you. I'm always working, even when you can't see me. And for those of us who identify more with Ruth, that we're broken, but we 
feel maybe a little bit stronger, maybe able to reach out and say, where you go, I go, to that person who is broken. Lord, would you use us as a body here at Riverside to be the kindness and grace of God in an increasingly darkening world that we would increase the light in this place, that you would increase the hope and light in all of our hearts, in all of our giving, in all of our praying, and that we would stand strong. And that even today, that we would reach out to at least one other person to keep them going, that they would know that you are the God that wakes people up in the middle of the night to pray, because such is your love for every individual on this land. In the powerful, beautiful name of Jesus, our Redeemer, we pray. Amen. Amen.